Welcome back to the Better Off Dead Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie Better Off Dead, one immobile minute at a time. We're your hosts, Curtis Blaze from thesacknews.com. And Jason Hubble from Mondo Confidential. Today, we are examining Minute 8, which starts with Dad getting mad about the open closet and ends with a beautiful shot of Diane Franklin standing in a window. Well, Curtis, how about the recap? Oh, I'm doing the recap today. You did? <laughs> At, uh, okay. At seven minutes, Dad goes to the stairs to close the closet door that Lane left open. At uh, seven minutes and ten seconds, boy, you make it look easy, Jason. At seven <laughs> minutes and ten seconds, Dad gets rudely jabbed in the butt by a pair of skis while Lane tries to rush out the door for ski practice. At 7 minutes and 18 seconds, Lane spins and smashes a set of decorative knickknacks, then tells his mom that he doesn't want to throw up during skiing tryouts again. (laughs) You really do make this look easy. At 7 minutes and 32 seconds, Dad follows Lane out the door to confront him about the vehicle that he purchased several months ago that hasn't ever been operable. At 7 minutes and 48 seconds, we see our first glimpse of French foreign exchange student Monique played by actress Diane Franklin. At eight minutes, we see Monique in profile from inside her house across the street. So as this minute starts, Dad is walking towards the closet in his uh, shirt, T-shirt, and shorts. Nothing else on. I didn't catch it. He, he put on his wife's robe to go catch the paper boy. And so, slippers. And slippers. And yeah, and slippers. So now he's changed into now he's changed into these shorts, this shirt, and this and this overshirt. Yeah. It takes him a long time to actually get fully dressed. Well, and he obviously hasn't showered yet. His hair is still all messed up and Lane's been in the shower with his socks on. <laughs> and the picture of Beth. With the picture of Beth. So one thing we don't see in this minute is a picture of Beth. Or is she? You know, I didn't look that close. Is he carrying a picture of her under his arms with the skis? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. He's got the skis. He's got the boots. No picture of Beth. So at least there's that. So he spins around and he knocks these, uh, what looks like a priceless set of uh, breakable knickknacks off of the... Smashes some ceramic knickknacks. Maybe Franklin Mint? I don't know. Franklin Mint. Oh, my God. I haven't thought of that place in forever. It looked like there was a picture of a blue mountain. It was like a plate and maybe like a creamer dispenser and maybe like a – maybe the other one was a tea dispenser. Maybe it was like a cream and tea kind of thing. Could be. They're all on like decorative wooden stands on a a table, and he spins and smashes those off. Yep. So right before he does that, Mom offers – we get to see the bacon gag again. (laughs) Yes. You know – Looking at the bacon that she's offering him, I'm convinced that it really is bacon. I think, to me, it looks like the prop department took real bacon, put green food coloring in it, and boiled, or, well, maybe boiled the crap out of it, then soaked it in green food coloring. Or or they used that, um, I I can't remember the name of it, but it's a jelly donut thickening agent that they use to make slime in movies. Like Thicket? 
I mean, there's stuff in... Okay, so there's stuff in nursing homes that they use to put in liquids to make them thicker and they kind of have the consistency of slime. <laughs> so you can kind of feed the liquid with a spoon. Oh, yeah. Like that's that kind of stuff. Yeah. Kind of does that. Or maybe a combination. Maybe they maybe they had some slime on it and used real bacon. Because it's got kind of the dark and the white and the dark, you know, striped things yeah, going on yeah. like real bacon does. But green. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it looked like, you know... A bacon that once had promise. Yeah. <laughs> Remind me of the name of the actress that plays mom. That is Kim Darby. Kim Darby. I'm going to be the guy that uh, never knows the names of anybody. You know, uh, yesterday after the show got done, I was I was looking through IMDb, just kind of, you know, getting back into researching for today's show. And I discovered that she was the mom in Teen Wolf 2. <laughs> I mean, okay, she was... She was what's her face in True Grit, Maddie. But the mom in Teen Wolf too. I knew I recognized her from somewhere. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> so she's kind of a she's kind of one of those ladies that ends up being you know our movies eighties moms. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you you look at her up on uh, IMDb, and she was in literally everything when we were kids. Like what? All sorts of television. Like uh, Star Trek, you know, sixty six Star Trek, Miri. Really? Yep. So I'm I'm just let me get this together. She was in True Grit, and True Grit was in the sixties, and she was a kid. Yeah. So she was a kid in True Grit, and then she. So was she on that? Do you think she was in that episode where all the kids on the planet, like, took the crew hostage? <laughs> She hmm. seems about the right age for that. Could have been. Not totally sure. But moving on, Lane, uh, Lane at this point, after, he, after he's invited in for bacon with mom, says that he has to jam because he's got ski team practice today and he's got a nervous stomach. And the last time he went to this, he threw up on that guy and had to buy him a new hat. <laughs> that is a nervous stomach. That <laughs> is, like, imagine you're on the ski slope. And you're nervous enough for ski tryouts to throw up on a guy. Do you think this is happening in the morning? It's got to be after school, right? You're the one that knows the movie better than me. No, it, is it, the next it, minute him at school or is the next minute him at ski tryouts? We are on minute eight. So minute nine. I, I, was, I was pretty sure that it was in the morning still. Okay. So not eating before he goes to ski tryouts. Yeah. Not a very good strategy. Yeah, I... I imagine a chairlift being involved in the vomiting, though. Oh, we... yeah, I never thought about that. Because I was just wondering how you would end up positioned in such a way to throw up on someone's hat unless you were, like, projectile vomiting towards somebody's back. But, yeah, on a ski lift. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which they never mention a ski lift, and you don't see one, though. You never see a ski lift in this movie? No. You never do. You know, that's right. No, they're, they're just... They're just up there on the mountain. Huh. I, I wanna take I wanna revisit this in later minutes when we get up the mountain. I have a memory of it seeming almost like a place you would be dropped off by a helicopter. Yeah. Like there's no there's not a thousand tracks around. Yeah, well we'll revisit it later. Yeah. K twelve. <laughs> so, so uh Lane finally makes it out the door. Dad bends over to start cleaning up the mess that he made with uh with the knickknacks, breaking all the knickknacks. 
And then as Lane makes it out the door, Dad comes out and starts to harass Lane about the car. About the, how did he put it? The immobile car that has darkened their driveway for several months. You know, I don't know if I subconsciously got this from this movie, but I used that exact line on my teenager (laughs) regarding a car that he had. (laughs) Although, to be fair, he didn't buy it to impress a girl, and it wasn't really his fault, and it was kind of our responsibility to fix the car. (laughs) But I didn't realize at the time that I was, I was probably quoting this movie a little bit. This scene has David Ogden Stiers being his most Winchester-y. There's a lot of moments where he kind of where he kind of goes to that and reminds me of that character. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what do you uh so you've of course, I'm always running into handicap. You know, I think I'm just going to watch this movie. <laughs> underneath the car or underneath of the tarp in the driveway is a car. Yes. And this car he bought because his girlfriend that he's obsessed with, Beth, liked. Yeah. Just thought it was cute or something. She said it was tasty. Tasty. Oh, you know this. Okay. <laughs> and he presumably, it, it needs some work and he hasn't done anything um, to it. So this car is screaming Chekhov's gun to me. It's hanging on the mantle. We're definitely going to see it in a, later, in a later act. So he gets in the family... As he goes by, you see the key, the skis catch on the on the tarp a little bit and start to pull that off. I always wonder. We're watching it in a minute at a time and really examining it, so we notice that kind of thing. But I've edited a few things in my life. I notice things like that. I wonder if on the day Holland didn't see that catch and start to pull the tarp off, or if he knew about it and was just like, ah, let's move on. Or maybe he did it intentionally to, like, tease you. Because you don't know what kind of car it is yet. I never thought about that. Like, he's on purpose getting you as an audience member to go, huh? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you don't know if it's an old jalopy or if it's a muscle car yet. As he's, as he's walking by the car and catches the skis, we cut to a girl looking out the window from across the street. That is Monique, yep. played by the talented Diane Franklin. This is the first time we see her at minute 7, 48 seconds in. I don't remember the first time seeing this, being under the impression... Well, first of all, when I was a, when I was a kid and watched this, this movie didn't... I didn't really differentiate between types of genres. It wasn't a teen romantic comedy to me. I thought it was just a comedy. And so, as an adult, I'm watching this, and I say to myself, okay, well, this girl is obviously, you know, the way she's smiling at him, they're going to... They're going to get together later on. This yeah. is going to be yeah. like a thing. You know, yeah. like the, yeah. the friend always ends up, you know, being the one that you're truly in love with by the end of these things. Which happens in movies, but usually not in life. Never happens in life. <laughs> not a real thing. All you do is end up losing the friend. <laughs> not that I've experienced that. <laughs> so we, we get our first glimpse of Monique through the window, and she kind of giggles as Kuzak is walking by and loading up the family station wagon. And getting in. And then we end the minute with with her just as mysterious a character as she was in her introduction a couple of seconds ago. But we're inside of her house now. Presumably in minute nine, we're going to get to see a little bit about her. Yeah. It's a very beautiful shot. It's like one of Vermeer's Lady at the Window paintings almost. <laughs> 
Yeah, the lighting is uh, the lighting is very soft. The way that it is uh, behind the gauzy curtain to to keep the mystery of what or who Monique is for a second, you know, it really it really speaks to Steve's to to Holland's filmmaking. I mean, the thing I've noticed about this movie so far is that it's very competently made. The guy really seemed to know what he was doing. Yeah. Light with with composition. He Especially for a first feature. Yeah, for a first feature. I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that he's always had to think about these things frame by frame in drawing animations. Yeah, yeah. Since he's had to do this in animation, once he gets to a camera, it's just second nature to him. Yeah, that attention to detail. Yeah. So we learn that Lane lives at 1636, or that's a street number, whatever, whatever street he lives on and whatever town he lives in. I think Green, you. I think we knew that. Greendale. Greendale. So is that the name of the town in canon in the movie? Do they ever refer to it as Greendale High, the Greendale Ski Team, or anything, or is that just we know that it was filmed there? It's. It's. Uh, I've seen it on a package delivered to Badger. Oh, okay. I believe. So it's canon. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, so. I, the most important part of this minute to me, obviously we've got the gags, the the ever-present gags, but we've got the introduction of Diane Franklin. And her career has just been kind of amazing. <laughs> she's one of those she's one of those actresses that I just like everything she was in, but I personally wasn't aware that I was watching her most of the time. A real standout one to me is uh besides Better Off Dead is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which was made four years later. Yep. Now, this kind of threw me off. Mo- the character of Monique in this movie seems like, like a mature, you know, foreign exchange student, kind of older woman type to yeah. Lane's bumbling high school kid. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I know they're supposed to both be in high school and probably both seniors, but... She strikes me as like the mature one. Yeah. And then four years later, she's playing Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I didn't recognize her as being the same actress at the time because in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, she just looked like, you know, like a, like a teenager, like a kid. Yeah. If you would have held a gun to my head, I would have said they were different actresses. Maybe it's because of the hair. Maybe it's because of just how much, <laughs> how different she looks in Bill and Ted's. Or how she got into the role, you know? I know. Well, well, and then before this, my God, she ends up in Dallas. She ends up in Matlock. She ends up in Charles in Charge, Terror Vision. Have you seen that movie? Yes, yes. Okay, so I've never seen this movie, but I've always seen the giant eyeball inside of the V. What does she do in Terror Vision? She is the Valley Girl daughter. Valley Girl. Yeah, dresses like Cyndi Lauper, has a heavy metal boyfriend, Played by the guy who was the werewolf in uh, the Monster Squad. Shut up. Seriously. Okay, how does that work out? <laughs> Wasn't Monster Squad? What what year was that? I want to say eighty seven, because I think I think Night of the Creeps was eighty six and Monster Squad was eighty seven. God, I just you know I I'm looking at the, I'm looking at Diane's IMDb right now. She hasn't really aged that much. Yeah, she's got a little. A little bit of more character in there. She's just all over the place. 
So it looks like she went back and forth like she could just play almost any age. Like, just so talented, she could just get anything done. Looking at her IMDb, uh, it reminded me of something that I wanted to talk about, God, last week. Uh, did you know that Savage Steve Holland was the director for an unaired pilot for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures? Oh, really? I saw, like, the first six minutes of this thing released on YouTube. It was not good. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how it could have been good. Yeah. TV shows based on movies rarely are. Especially in the 80s. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember the Ferris Bueller TV show? Ugh. No, you know, I don't remember the Ferris Bueller TV show. I wasn't even aware that existed. So Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures was after 89, which means that he, he did try to do some more live-action stuff that wasn't just animation, which is weird because there wasn't there an animated Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Yeah, there was a, a Saturday morning cartoon. But he had no involvement with that. No, that would have made sense. Well, uh, I don't want to malign Mr. Holland's directing skills because, frankly, I've liked everything he's made. The pilot for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures was bad. I don't know if there if anything could have been done with it. They had basically they had actors who did a great job of impersonating Bill and Ted. Yeah, the the fake Keanu was really good. Yeah, the fake Keanu was actually actually pretty good. If you get a chance to watch it, listeners, go ahead and head out on up to the internet and find that thing. It's it's interesting. We'll probably post it at the at the web page. But uh, uh, we're rambling. We're rambling. <laughs> I don't have anything else for this minute. Is there anything else you noted about this minute that you want to talk about, Jason? Well, just maybe a little bit more about Diane Franklin, but I'm, I'm a little obsessed with her, I can say. Oh, well, I, I don't think we're going to get tired of talking about Diane Franklin in the next 97 days. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, maybe I can save it till the next one. Well, in that case, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, remember, if you want to find us, you can find us at betteroffdeadminute.com at the Better Off Dead Minute Facebook page. You can email us at bodminute at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at bodminute, or you can leave a voice or text message for us at 712-830-7373. If you've got something, if you've got a memory you'd like to share about one of the upcoming minutes, we'd love to put you on the air. We'd love to hear about it. Uh, we'd really appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review so that it makes it easier for other people to find us. And if you could retweet us and share us on Facebook, that would be peachy. Yeah, Diane Franklin retweeted us. So can you. <laughs> of course, we'd like to give a shout-out to to the other minute, Movies by Minutes that we love. Indiana Jones Minute, Star Wars Minute, the guys who started it all. Uh, I'm a personal fan of... at. As, at the time of this recording, basically the new Mad Max Minute. Do you listen to any Minute podcast yet, or are you still? <laughs> I'm still a virgin in that respect. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you uh, tomorrow for Minute 9. <laughs>